Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. With me is Brian DeKean, who's a serial entrepreneur. He founded a company called Kairos, which was a, a facial recognition company. And he is now, we are now in Miami. This is first of all, it's never bad to be in Miami. <laughs> Welcome to Miami. Yeah, hey, thank you for having me. So, like Will Smith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, uh, you run a company now, Lightship Capital, Correct. right? And we are in a space called a uh, space called Tribe, right? That's right. I come from a tribe called Quest. It's very similar. Yeah, okay, yeah, I figured, yes. I figured that was inspired there. So it is an awesome space, and my understanding is that this is a space for black and brown uh, entrepreneurs, and Lightship Capital actually helps black and brown entrepreneurs in their journey and invest in those companies, correct? Which is why we work out of this space, exactly. So Derek Peterson, Fletcher Hatcher, um, started this space for black and brown entrepreneurs maybe about three or four years ago now. Okay. Uh, and so it's really become the headquarters of entrepreneurship for our community in Miami. Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty. I'm, I'm kind of jealous being from Cincinnati seeing this happening. Uh, but, you know, the, the hope is that some of that's spreading because you, you spend some of your time in Cincinnati. So we're going to get one. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about your background and growing up. So uh, I looked you up a little bit. You have a, you have a different upbringing from what I see. So you were adopted. Is that correct? I was. I was yeah. at six months old. Wow. OK. Yeah. Tell me about that experience. If I, if I remember correctly, your parents were Amish. Is that is that correct? Um, I, yeah, my, aunt, my uh, foster parents were Amish. Okay, yes. Um, so I'm actually from Ohio. I was born oh. in Ohio. Oh, so. okay. We got that. That's probably why we get along. Too. All right. <laughs> I'm an Ohioan. Um, what part of Ohio? I was born in Cleveland. I believe, okay. At a, at a Catholic uh, hospital there. All right. I'm yeah. born in the other part of the world, Cincinnati. It's like a different Cleveland, Cincinnati. We go ahead. <laughs> it's as far as any two cities yes. in the world, right? Um, and so yeah, but. Uh, as I understand it, uh, two, uh, two college students that just weren't ready to have a kid. And so then I went to um, had foster parents in the Amish. So we're right. technology. Wow. Candles, you know, cloth diapers, the whole nine. That was your experience for how long? Uh, about a year or so in Pennsylvania. Okay. And then my parents adopted me from there. Um, okay. And then my father's an engineer, and that's how I got into computers and things. Oh, wait. So wait, you were, you, you were with Amish foster parents originally, but then you had a, another set of parents that, uh, I'll just make sure I get this straight, they're not your actual uh, biological parents, but they're- Correct, my adopted- Your adopted parents, family, yeah. okay, so. so- from one or two on, for the rest of my life, they were my- Okay, okay, my mom I, I, I wasn't, okay, I'm glad you got that straight. I was like, what did you learn being Amish at this seems like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you got the technology, that seems like, you know- <laughs> Very far. That's a very, a very far uh, leap, but okay, that makes more sense now, all right, good. <laughs> a lot more. There aren't very many Amish AI engineers in the world. But but your dad, my understanding, your dad did introduce you to technology earlier. Certainly. So, I mean, about eight years old or so, um, he brought home this giant thing called a computer. Yeah. Put it on the dining room table. Because there were no computer tables back then, if you recall. No. Uh, Gosh, we're old enough to have that conversation now. Okay, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you may not remember. Yeah. You know, man of your young age, but... Oh, we're the same age. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so he brought home this computer, put it on the dining table and said, kid, like, this is the future. You've got to learn it. Yeah. And back then, there was no Windows. There, were no, there was no user experience, really. He had the code just to turn it on. Wow. Um, just to play games. And so I Under, learned- Was that Unix? It was, yeah, OS2 with an early DOS. Yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah. And so I had to learn how to code just to use the computer. And then I just fell in love with the technology. Right. And, and here you are, like, just running companies. So. I, I, I want to think about your entrepreneurial experience. We, we talk on this show about disrupting common narratives and constructs, and it is obviously hard to be an entrepreneur, sure. whether you're black or you're white. 
but there are some particular barriers, even when you are successful. Mm-hmm. You know, you have you have the experience of founding a company, the AI company we talked about. Can you can you walk us through what your lessons were on that? And looking back now, if you can see yourself now, what would you tell yourself then? If you can just go back and you're able just to say, look, mm-hmm. Brian, these are the things that you need to know that you wish you would have known. You just want to just mentor your younger self in that process. What would you say? It's a great question. I feel like, well, first, I certainly would start the company again, even though it was by far the hardest thing I ever did in my entire life. Right. The most sleepless nights, the most stress, um, the highest highs, certainly, but also the the lowest lows of of my entire adult life. Um, That said, it is important for people who have the ability to create things and make change in the world to do so. Yeah. Um, or else the world won't push forward, it won't become a better place. And it's possible if you don't do that, someone else who doesn't have as good intentions might. Right. right? And so uh, I was really proud to create an AI company and a facial recognition company that was very thoughtful about right. people, about privacy, <clears throat> about um, working equally in all races. Um, and that really started to set a standard for our industry right. and start a conversation that wasn't being had no. when we started the company. Yeah, I mean, facial recognition, uh, we've also talked about this on prior shows. Uh, you know, technology is not going anywhere. We know that. Uh, it's, this technology is going to be implemented, is being implemented, uh, but it's not being implemented in a way, my perspective, in a way that is inclusive. I guess that makes sense because nothing else has been either. But I, I do think there are consequences that we have, may have not have seen with artificial intelligence, facial recognition, because they, you know, you look at it, 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 it frankly gets us wrong a lot. It, yeah, it seems to be, from my perspective, relearning some of the same biases that is supposed to be eliminated. How do we tackle that? Yeah, great question. So, facial recognition AI is very, very good, what we call pale males. Yeah. So the paler you are, the maler you are, it is very, very strong right. <laughs> in that area. But every dimension, you get away from that. So just white women, for instance, not even a different race, wow. it's 30% less accurate for white women than white men, right? And so it just kind of degrades from there. And so what we're starting to see in the last couple of years as the conversation started to evolve is real focus on getting data about other, other genders and cultures and colors and shades into the AI so it knows how to find us. Right. No, I mean, it's, um, it's not surprising that if most of the people doing the programming, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have their biases frame of thinking put into it, whether they realize it or not. Yes. So I, I wonder if, if there is a, is there, a, is there an under, is there, I, I, I'm hearing the conversation more, but I do see the consequences of not doing that, uh, like technology in terms of uh, security, mm-hmm. right? Misidentifying someone, I think of, you know, I'm, I think about the minority report, which is also probably aging me, right? <laughs> but you know, which is the story about, you know, computers seeing into the future before a crime was committed. Mm-hmm. And maybe we don't go that far, but, it's, but it might be some type of facial recognition to say this person committed a crime. I'm thinking as, an African-American in the United States. Like, this person committed that crime, police see it, they go, they go after the wrong person who looks confused and that person gets shot or something. Mm-hmm. Like, were there any ethical concerns when you were initially approaching this, uh, when you looked at the technology? And how were you, how were you, how, how did you, how did you try to frame it? Because obviously I think you care about it. 
but did your investors care about it and how did you get them to care about it if they did? So let's talk about this dystopian future you just laid out. Yeah, That's, sorry, that, that, that was a lot of that, <laughs> I want the dystopian future, I apologize. <laughs> um, it actually is today though. That is already happening. There are two of oh, the 30 million Americans. Right. According to Georgetown University, um, the Georgetown Privacy Law Center estimates that about 230 million of the 300 are already in a facial recognition database. Wow. Already. Okay. Um, and in what they like to call a perpetual lineup. So the, the AI is constantly trying to figure out with a picture who this person is. And because it's not as effective on these different groups, it is more likely to false positive on a black person than a white person, or again, the pale male. Yeah. So this, this you know, concern of yours that right. was theoretical in the question yeah. is actually Oh, so let's even worse right now. now. Yeah. It's happening right now. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I feel a lot better now. Glad right? to give okay. you that comfort. Yes, all right. Yes. Thank you for that comforting thought. <laughs> now, the good news, though, on the flip side of that is AI is getting better exponentially. Right. Um, I would say it's, it's three, four, five, 8x better than even two years ago. Sure. So we are moving in the right direction. So is a solution for us to actually participate, because it's kind of counterintuitive, it's like machines are learning, so is it is it actually more beneficial for us to actually participate and put our faces when Google is asking you on Google Photos, which is clearly what they're probably doing, helping with facial recognition, <clears throat> is that helpful? Or, because I know some people are saying, well, I don't want to give them my data. I'm like, I'm not sure if they, because I just, I'll just, I'll just make sure that they never see my face and that way they'll never see me, which good luck with that. But what is the solution for really solving that from your perspective, having some experience in this industry? Some of the work that we did, um, which I hope more people are doing now, is uh, AI to train AI. Um, right. And so what this, what that means is there's this, to use a technical term, GANs or generative adversarial networks, which that really means is you can create fake humans that have never walked the earth right. and use those fake faces to train an algorithm to find oh, real faces. That's freaky. Yeah. Okay. In fact, so we're what, creating fake humans now. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right. And so what we could do for your viewers is uh, I'll send you a link. You can show them at this point in the video. Okay. I'd love to see that. We'll real do that. faces being generated in real time. Wow. And so every face that the users are seeing right now yeah. never existed. And I can generate them in seconds. All right. Milliseconds even. Wow. You know, with, with your experience as an entrepreneur, talk about your what you, what you see as your, I hate to say failure, because that people feel like that feels permanent, but people do whatever. It's a setback. It's a challenge. What do you see as your greatest setback and challenge? And how did that set you up for a greater learning lesson or a greater opportunity in the future? So many, so many. But the one that, the one or two that stick out in your brain the most? I would say, I really, moving people like lawyers faster, right? Oh, people, yeah. service providers, right? Yes, the yeah. accountants faster. Moving, the business was growing exponentially and we had lots of people, investors, you name it, kind of coming at us. But trying to get things like documentation and paperwork done right. for these outside, you know, counsel, you name it. It, it's hard to motivate a person that makes a million dollars a year to work all weekend, right? Yeah. Um, I think it was one of my kind of failures. I don't know if I ever figured that out. Um, but I think looking back, I would have been Yeah, I'm a lawyer. lawyer. I, push, I push lawyers hard because most of the time they, they overthink the process. I can say that as a lawyer. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> it's like, yeah, sometimes done is better than perfect, man. Absolutely. Get it out. Because like, if, it, if we don't get it out, it's worse than having something, not having every single 
semicolon in there. But that's my, my perspective. And there's a friction between an entrepreneurial mindset which is all about opportunity. And moving. Right, and moving, and speed, to feed the market, you name it. And, uh, and lawyers mindset, which I love lawyers. I'm, yeah. but well, you need them, yeah. It's, it's, it's all about risk mitigation, Yeah. even at the smallest risk. You love, I don't love lawyers, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would take no offense if you said, I'm also an engineer, I just tell people I'm an engineer first. On a, on a whole different show, I'm a big fan of the Supreme Court, and I like to read Supreme Court oral oh, argument. Wow. Okay. I read the amicus briefs as well. I listen to oral, like everything. Yes, yeah. you are definitely more of a, I've never met anybody who's more of a nerd than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that as a compliment, because wow. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. But I want people to think about, I want them to understand the, the struggle. So let, let, let's get to the million dollar question. Kairos, you did have a dispute with the company. Yes. Right? Yes. And that didn't seem like it was fun from, from the outside looking in. Oh, no, uh, I wouldn't say it's fun at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what was the learning experiences there that you could find for yourself and that you would tell others? A couple things. One, you know, who's on your board matters. This is something we work a lot with at Lightship Capital or our portfolio right. companies. One, don't have a board as long as possible. Okay. There's oftentimes entrepreneurs, we feel like we're searching for answers because we're kind of in this by ourselves. Absolutely. Right? You're kind of in a dark room and you're looking yeah. Just for trying help. to figure it out. Yep. Yeah. And so we turn to folks sometimes for that support and they really don't know anything more than us. In fact, we know way more about our businesses Absolutely. than they do. Um, and so, out of a sense of you know positiveness, but even need, um, we will add people as advisors and ultimately board members that may not have kind of our best interest or, the, or the, even the company's best interest at heart. Sometimes mm-hmm. a lot of ego comes into play. Always, you, uh, you name it. So I would say either a mixture of don't have a board as long as possible, but even when you do, be very selective. Right. Um, also, when you're thinking about board management and board structure, before you get there, I want you to finish that thought. Sure. Selection. What do you do in this election process? Because there is a tension because you, you want to keep your, uh, you want to not have a huge board. You probably don't want to have a board as long as possible. But in order to grow as a business, you need advisors. You need people. Yes. And um, I, I, one of my mentors says that, you know, it, it, you need to be, you also need to be productively paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> like this, productively, you're paranoid. You can't do anything, but you have to be a little skeptical. And I think you add a lot on top of that. If you're black, you, you're productively paranoid and just add it in there. But how do you make that evaluation in your brain without being jaded too? That's, that's the, how does one go about making the selection that this is the right fit? How do you evaluate that? And now that you have this database of knowledge built upon real experience, how would you advise people? I'm not a fan of general mentorship. We'll start with that. Okay. So I don't think people need this person. Like I get asked 20, 30, 40 times a month, will you be my mentor? Right. What does that mean? Spiritual <laughs> advisor? No. Yeah. I would like to see people say, I'm very focused on digital transformation for my business. And this person is an expert in digital transformation. This right. person is an expert in growth. This have mentors that are subject matter experts in the specific areas that you need um, and not general. Right. Because, because that's when you get this kind of babysitting God complex, right? Yeah, Where they think yeah. that they're kind of somehow above you, the entrepreneur yeah. when they're really peers yeah. at best. That, that's, man, that's tough. And you get the people that, so uh, that paternalistic, I think, attitude. And I'm going to throw race in here a little bit. I think even because you, you've been in San Francisco, right? And yes. I, I am, I, I am, I'm a 
whatever. I'm a Democrat in terms of especially what's going on now, but that's not the important part of this conversation. The important part of this conversation is I, I believe there's a general belief by folks that, oh, like racism only exists with Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right. We both laugh collectively, oh, right? <laughs> right, and, 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 and there is this, and it, it is real, a paternalistic, what I kind of call racism, mm -hmm. right? That, mm -hmm. you know, I am comfortable with you in the space of, oh, you know, let me help you get some food stamps, mm -hmm. right? Let me help you be dependent upon, so on and so forth. But if you get to a place where, you know, you, you, you think we're peers, they don't say this, but it comes across in terms of actions, mm -hmm. right? That is just as bad to me. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think a lot of people would be offended if you said that to them. But I say, I look at San Francisco. I'm looking at the representation that look very good. I'm just saying. Am, am, am I missing something here? Not at all. You <laughs> so, know, I mean, George W. Bush, uh, not a man of many great words. Right. <laughs> but one of his best quotes was, uh, he, he really had a problem with the... Uh, the, the the gentle bigotry of low expectations, yeah. essentially, right? And so, and there's reality to that. There's such reality, there, you know. And I don't obviously didn't agree with everything he said, but that's true. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not here, you know, rah rah George Bush. But what I am here saying is, in San Francisco, you see that where this the Prius driving, Earth loving, Democrat voting yeah. um, person, Barack Obama loving yeah, person, yeah, yeah. thinks. You know, what's a pat you on the head a few times and say, this is great. I've got you in this box. Right. And you should only really be in this box. You should only be in that box. You should only be the box of this, you know, entrepreneur. Like, no, you're not that. You're, yeah. In my, before my investor days, in my entrepreneurial days, when I would go out to San Francisco to, to raise money, here I am, African-American founder with an AI company. Yeah. I just didn't fit what they thought I should be. Which is great, by the way. That's why we like disrupting those narratives. But go this ahead. is exactly what the show's all about. That's what it's about. And so I was always a victim of what I would call the, the OO. Yeah. Which is, I walk into your office and I say, well, I'm just like, oh, hey, Steve, how yeah. are you? And yeah. you're like, oh, oh, you're Brian. <laughs> you know, on a prior show, we had Chauncey Mayfield uh, on the show who was, uh, he, met, he, he got about, oh, about 1.5 billion in assets for real estate management a while ago, like we're talking 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And he had to manage, and, uh, and I'm, a question's coming here, because how do you manage this? Because he said he had to manage, even, his, even his, with his success, to manage the business of race. So he used to go to, go to closings, gave uh, the highest offer, but people would find a reason not to close with him, even when he gave the most money. So then he said, okay, then he, he stopped going to closings, <laughs> right? And he, he would sometimes send white people to the closings. And then he, he, he ended up doing this strategy for a while and figuring out ways to essentially, uh, so people couldn't tell what he, what his race or anything. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, uh, he said when he got about 250 in management, $250 million in management, he went uh, and went to the place that he owned and decided to have a meeting with the person. They never met with him. Mm. And he's like, and he just went and sat out there in the corner. It was a white guy that was there. He just came out and looked and just kept looking around. And he went back again and kept look, look, looking around. And he just was like, um, Couldn't find and, and then he asked him, he said, Chauncey's there. He said, um, uh, have you seen anybody out here? And, and Chauncey said, no, I haven't seen anybody. <laughs> he said, I'm looking, I was looking for somebody. He said, maybe I can help you. Chauncey told him, he said, well, you wouldn't be able to help me because you probably wouldn't know this is. He said, well, I know a lot of people try me. <laughs> so I'm trying to make feel the guy was like, that's me. Like, oh, 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 um, oh, you know, this is, but that, you know, that tells you the story. Chauncey's um, is a pretty black name, too. I mean, I don't know any white Chauncey. <laughs> so it shows a lot of things about this guy. There's nobody folks, evidently, because 
I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, because Rob Richardson and Brian McKean sound pretty white. Exactly. If we're honest, right? Like, the Chauncey. Yeah. Like, oh, what's up, brother? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what is... I mean, how, do you, how, do you, how did you manage that process? Because I'm sure you went through it. How does one... You know, you don't want to get jaded because there are plenty of good, very open-minded, very progressive. A lot of my greatest supporters have been white. But that challenge still comes. What do you do? So, so two key things. One, even with the OO scenario, yeah. I've had good meetings with OO people. Yeah, like, oh, right? okay. Um, so sometimes we as, as uh, founders of color, we have a bad initial experience. Yeah. And we allow the relationship to degrade from that point on. Yeah. And we, we put things on the other person that they don't necessarily yeah. deserve. Which makes sense, right? I mean, that, that so two questions to follow up with that. I, I see that we put in because I see racism. I've talked about this on the show too. I, everybody's racist, whether they realize it or not. And and it's to make progress, it's first realizing that because it's a subconscious, it's such a built-in construct that it doesn't make you an evil person to be that. Mm-hmm. That's very important for people to understand that. How did you go about changing your mindset to not take in, you know, okay, somebody had this negative reaction and, or whatever, or said something that was out of line. How did you develop the emotional response to not let that affect the situation? Because it sounds like it's easy, but if you're, but it's harder than I think people give credit for. It's definitely difficult. Um, go, probably a lot of pieces of my personality going all the way back to my grandfather being a Baptist minister. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you, you learn some things from that. Um, two, growing up in a majority-minority community in okay. Philadelphia where... Everyone other than the upper middle class neighborhood, everyone in my neighborhood was black, and the mayor was black, the right. police commissioner was black, you know. So you, you 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 get a sense that things are possible and that sometimes there are roadblocks and there are people who are roadblocks. Right. We just simply go around those roadblocks. Some I, I've noticed that, and we were talking about this a little bit before the show, um, if you're in a minority minority community sometimes, or in a southern kind of Jim Crow South, yeah. and maybe only had one generation of first got to college, yeah. right? Which is most black people. Most black <laughs> as, we, we, as we talked about earlier, right, this is, for the most part, in terms of the doors really being open, and you can make some arguments about this deal, the broadness of it, but in terms of just like legally yeah. and structurally having a, a opportunity, that's that's a rather new experience the last 40, 50 years we're talking. Uh, and, and black people have been conditioned into a, into a subservient position. Whether we realize it or not, it's there. But if you're from an immigrant background, you talked about it, it's different. Like Miami is very different. I can say it's very different from places in Ohio. That's right. In terms of how black people and brown people think. Talk about what, because you, you, you're in Cincinnati often, and you're in Miami often. Talk about what you see as the distinct differences in approach. You look at uh, like the Jamaican American community, for instance. Right. Very, very successful. Um, and yeah, because it come, again, coming from a majority community, you don't feel some of the constructs. Also, because you have many multi-generational wealth that you right. already had in a kind of secret Jim Crow South, right? Um, it allows you a starting point in entrepreneurship that gets you further on the finish point. There's just less of a ceiling right. or a cap. Uh, we're starting to do some work in Tulsa, Oklahoma lately, which okay. is the site of the Tulsa Race Massacre and the Black Wall yeah, Street yeah, Massacre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm well aware of you and your Black, Black Wall Street. Yeah. I haven't talked sure. about Black Wall Street, but that would be another good topic for us to talk about. Come on out and visit us. That's um, what we're going to do. That. We, we'll, we'll do that. We'll hold you to it. So we're doing some good work out there, and I think that a, a critical piece of our work 
is just allowing. And by the way, if you, if you don't know about Black Wall Street Massacre in Oklahoma, please look it up. It's something to everyone should know about. It's very, very deep. Yeah. It's, it's both sad, but also the, the, the rebirth now of that, that community is certainly very exciting. Um, and so we think it, the more we work there, we think that our role is to help remove some of those yeah. ceilings on the mentality of the community there. Because if you were a member of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and your, your parents and great, great parents and beyond suffered through that period of time, how much trust can you possibly have in You community? have very little. Very little trust. Uh -huh. But that lack of trust is literally the ceiling that is holding you mm -hmm. from creating a world-class business. Mm -hmm. And so we think of ourselves yeah. as almost community psychologists in that community, not just investors. Well, a community psychologist, that's, see, and, that, and that's, the, that's the approach I think we, have to take as I think about I'm a policy person you know I think there's you know I talked about this a little earlier too there's there's three levers of I think making really social construct changes uh, black people because of our position have focused on the first one and it's still relevant but it's not the only one it's protests it's protests it's saying this is unfair whatever whatever you call protest mass mass protest boycott whatever but then there's obviously policy right because mm -hmm. protests mean nothing if you don't get any policy amen and policy is not even sustainable because it don't matter if you have the best policy in the world, that can be reversed in a second uh, by anyone who, by the next person in power. Mm. So you need the third P, which is power. And that only, that only happens through collective power, through entrepreneurship, through uh, working together to advance our economic and political situation. And it's absent Democrat, Republican. It's about what are we doing to make sure that our interests are being advanced. Absolutely. Period. Um, but after I went to that rant, I had, I had, I had a point here. The, the rant was fire. Though. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Black Wall Street trying to, you talked about that, that those kind of, I think, negative. Community psychology. Yeah, community psychology, yes. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the negative, I would say, plants that have taken hold and taken root. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I want to talk to, I want to talk about methods about how you actually do that. One thought I have, and I want to hear what you what you say, is that, you know, I'd say when you hear these negative thoughts about the old adage about the white man's ice being cooler, when you hear people say black businesses can't do that, take that thought, literally see yourself taking that thought, writing it down, and putting it in a fire and burning it. Yes. yes. <laughs> Burn it. Yes. <laughs> right? And, I, and I, I, look, I have been guilty of that, right? All of us have been because it's so pervasive, but when you see yourself holding black people to not the same standard black businesses i'm talking about to 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 the same standard as other businesses one two they're gonna have some trials and struggles because you know what they don't they might have a corporate corporation structure infrastructure like a huge business but at least they're actually hiring people that look like you absolutely so if you think about some all the great black entrepreneurs of american history let alone world history but american history right from from cotton gins to streetlights to astronauts. These are folks that were able to be successful in a much more structurally difficult time. Not that now isn't difficult. Yeah, there's no question it was much more, no one can argue it, was, it, was, it wasn't more structurally, structurally difficult. Structurally We couldn't walk down the street, they could just shoot you and be okay with it. Literally, so, yeah. literally, literally <laughs> not allowed to read. Right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, structural difference. Or going to talk to Black Wall Street, when they can just come and just take it and there's no recourse. Literally, burn down. Days. No one goes to jail. So no so, one can say that it's equivalent in terms of construct. It's absolutely, not, certainly not structurally. So with that said, if because those people didn't have the, this kind of weight uh, on their, you know, in their mind and on their shoulders that we put 
on our side. It was put. It was put there actually. Yeah. By previous folks. Absolutely. But we also can take it off. We got. We got to take it off. Yeah. We got. We got. It's time. It's mm-hmm. time. You know. Uh, we're not going to be any better. Which not. is what the original person wanted in the first place. <clears throat> which is why you know the. The, the teachings of both Martin and Malcolm, and actually Martin started going towards Malcolm before he died in terms mm-hmm. of how he was thinking. Mm-hmm. I saw this old speech by uh, Malcolm X saying, listen, like other communities of immigrants have nothing. He came here and you want to go and just go get a job in corporate America. And that's, that's what you think success is. Said, that's not success. <clears throat> and to hear those words like, wow, he was talking the way that we're, we're now starting to think now. I, I didn't even realize that his words were so prescient even at the time, but it's true. Like we're not going to, you know, there nobody's coming to save us. It ain't happened. Like the superheroes are for the comic books. You know, Iron Man's not coming, Superman's not coming, Wakanda's not coming. No, it ain't happening, right? We we have to do that for ourselves. Hoping for Wakanda though. Yeah. Well, we have to be Wakanda. Yes. That, that's my point. Is like it's not Black Panther ain't jumping out. Like there's not and just go come and just say it's just go come to L.A. and say hey. We're going to change all the things that happen. You know, we we're going to have to we're going to have to create Wakanda. Well, I've got a spicy take going okay. back on what you're saying okay. about Fortune Fives. All right, right? and <clears throat> you know, we love our Fortune Fives and they're big supporters of ours. But I think Atlanta's failure as an ecosystem is because success is as is. Working at Coca Cola, I was saying Coca Cola too. Yeah, as a senior vice president. Now we got Tyler Fairley, Maybe there's something there. There you go. And so Tyler, more entrepreneurial, right? Yep. Uh, because Hollywood wouldn't accept him. Exactly. People have to understand Hollywood didn't want him. Exactly. And they didn't think his product was valued. He had to create his own. He was he was back to that mentality of our ancestors before they, they there was no Coca Cola they could depend on. That's right. And so essentially, he didn't take a job at Coke in L.A. No. Right. He started his own soda brand. Right. Right. Um, it's, it's the same thing, and I think one of Miami's successes as an ecosystem is that there are actually so few Fortune Fives yeah. that people are much more focused on being entrepreneurial, also the immigrant mentality, and so we start things more often here, and That's therefore we're finishing things more often. You know, in, in Cincinnati, we have more corporate 500 companies, and people, I think, uh, have a very, you know, nothing wrong with corporate, but it's a, but it's a corporate mentality. Corporations almost by definition are not entrepreneurial. They're not, they're not seeking to disrupt, they're seeking to keep. And they're seeking to keep the status quo because it's worked for them. I would argue that Charlotte has a failed black ecosystem for the wow. exact same reasons. Wow, and so we're, we're gonna have to, stuff from Cincinnati, we're gonna work on disrupting that together. Okay. I'm, I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I, I think I saw somewhere that you are not a fan of diversity and inclusion kind of. Oh, dear. And, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I can kind of guess why, but I want to hear your point. Well, your I'm take. A, it's the VP role. It's the, I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a fan of diversity and inclusion as a, as a thing. I know what you mean. <laughs> but yeah, the VP of diversity and inclusion at any, particularly, West Coast, San Francisco-based organization. I don't think it's unique to them, but go ahead. Yeah, it's, <laughs> from it's, my experience, it's not particularly, ahead. but not not only, not solely. They throw great parties. Great parties, aren't they? The best parties. They'll bring common in. Yeah, he'll do a little, you know, a little, we'll little, little spoken word. Yeah. Maybe even a little Keys private concert. Yeah, it's wonderful. They they create a beautiful, glossy report. It's great, isn't it? Oh, it's stunning. Yeah, and year in year out says that we've done absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely nothing. But that party was fire. And so this kind of diverse diversity VP lottery that people win and they get to go and do nothing for a few years and make six figures and then the people they're celebrating and people are like, oh yeah, you're gonna go do nothing. That's a, it's an absolute joke. And when I see the one of those people that gets someone like Facebook 
to invest in every black venture capital fund as part of its treasury policy. Then I'll be impressed with DNI work. Preach. Getting an, an intern from Howard to work at Facebook for a summer Preach. is not success, is not no. work. You're stealing money. It, well, it's tokenism. It's tokenism, it's and, and so it's not, it's, not it's not inclusion, as you said, I'm stealing your words, it's not equity. No. That's not equity. It's not, you're not changing the construct, you're not changing trajectories. That's what I'm, like, I don't have any more conversations about, like, with, with people, when I deal with my business and uh, dealing with data and marketing, People send me to diversity and inclusion. I'm like, I don't, uh, so you're telling me you're not serious? Like, cause I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go talk to the gatekeeper no. to, to figure out to tell me, you know, I gotta sign up as a DBE to prove some stuff and like, I have to, how, how do I have to prove I'm black? Look, it's <laughs> <laughs> here. <laughs> what else you need? Yeah, exactly. So I am so with you on that, and I think it needs to be. Like the, it, it needs to stop being used as tokenism. And let me just say this, we as black people have to stop allowing it, allowing this, because I don't go with that. I've seen that happen so much where you have the, the one or two at the gate and they're like, oh, we focus on diversity and inclusion. Look, we have uh, Bob, like Bob is one person. One person. <laughs> like, how is that, what is that, what is that doing? And Bob has a job with you and half the time Bob doesn't even own the company. Google hiring 20 interns. Is an organization that has tens of thousands of employees. No. And they're interns. And that's worth, uh, uh, they're approaching a trillion dollars. So they got it. And I have friends that you look, I got, I know the head of marketing there. So with UC, but that's none of that is, none of that is transformative. Yeah. Now I will say in Google's kind of a defense, particularly then, they today announced that they're supporting Low Tony's new fund, which is a fund to fund to black uh, VCs, right. like a $40 million, it's a $40 million fund that was launched today. So Google is putting the check That's good. in the right place. I don't see the others put their check in the right place as well. Yeah, no, I agree with you. So let's let's kind of like um, finish up here. We So this is Lightship Capital. Your mission is to do what here? So we are here to support black and brown entrepreneurs and women to create world-class businesses. Okay, how do you do that? What, what, yeah, how do you do, how do you go about doing variety that? ways? First and foremost, investment. You know, okay. These communities are underinvested sure. by all all standards. We're usually first investor, first institutional institutional investor. Right. We invest about one hundred twenty five thousand dollars into the first round, and we'll hold back another six hundred thousand dollars, particularly for a bridge round. Right. Because these entrepreneurs, when things start going well, and they should be able to do a Series A, it takes them six months to a year longer. Yeah. Because you know, yeah, of a bias. Stuff. Yeah, right. absolutely. So we're or just here. lack of the same connections and opportunities that others have. Exactly. So we keep another five hundred thousand dollars so back, so that we can invest that into a company's bridge to get them to Series A. Um, but then beyond that, um, we are really focused on entrepreneurship and education uh, for Black and Brown founders. We we actually announced this year that we've raised one point two million dollars in in nonprofit funds oh, wow. just so that we can train a hundred entrepreneurs next year in a one week boot camps around everything from founder growth mindset to digital marketing and understanding your customer using AI. No, oh, that's that, that's really cool. All right, three rapid fire questions really quick um, and uh, then we'll take a quick tour and let you go. Uh, you have a committee of three living or dead uh, to advise you in life and business who are those three people and why? Definitely Steve Jobs. I'm a big fan. Got my my big start at Apple. I worked at IBM before, but it wasn't the same. And by the way, you didn't you, you didn't you didn't go to college either, right? I dropped out after the first semester. Smart man, I guess. So, it worked out well for you. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I realized quickly that it wasn't for me. 
Um, so yeah, Steve Jobs would be probably number one. Oh man, I I, I don't even. Like, everyone else is so is so far down. From well, there's that. a lot of people. You got spiritual advisors. Everything. Oh, anyone, any advisor anyone. in any life, business, personal, whatever. Oh, Dr. King would, would certainly be one for sure. I mean, for all the all the kind of obvious reasons. Uh, and then I think last uh, but not least. I have a I have a, a a bit of a CEO crush okay. uh, on the CEO of American Airlines, Doug Parker. Okay, all right. Very very random, but uh, yeah, it was random. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> Doug used to go all the way back was the CEO of if you remember America West Airlines, very small airline. I don't remember. Sorry. Regional. Uh, you're too young, but regional uh, in Arizona. And he continuously bought bigger airlines yeah. and would kind of like uh, to soothe the other side. Sure. He would keep the name of the bigger one. So America West bought U.S. Airways and he left it the brand U.S. Airways even though he, he owned it. Smart. Then uh, U.S. Airways bought American. He calls the whole thing American. Makes them feel better. And in American's case, he, his college roommate was the CEO of American Airlines. They were very, they were actually good friends. Right. And what's crazy about that situation is um, American goes into bankruptcy he decides that he could maybe do a better job he negotiates contracts with all the unions the pilots union right. and then offers the bankruptcy court a better option a better path forward than his friend and, and wow. American the bankruptcy court assigns American Airlines to US Airways and then he, you know takes over a CEO wow yeah. are they still friends? probably hopefully <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Scott Kirby, who was that gentleman, right? Once um, United became president of United, right? And the CEO just announced today that he's leaving, and now he'll become the CEO of United. That's such a smart move, too. People uh, overestimate their own brand to think like, if I put my name on everything, then that that will help it. That's not true because people don't know the brand for that reason. So let the brand exist and be be happy that you have the power and the the money to to to, to, to actually do those to, to to do those things and not allow your ego to get in the way of the result. Buy bigger companies. All startups should be thinking about buying their biggest competitor, bigger than they are. Right. There's yeah. ways to do it. No, that, that's awesome. What's an important truth very few people agree with you on? An important truth that that you hold people. personal belief that people would think if you told them that that's crazy as hell, but you believe it. The Constitution is a nearly perfect and divine document. Okay. There isn't a single word out of place. And here's the thinking. You look at, like, in a, in a Donald Trump world. Right. How could that be possible? <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting. This right? is going to be good. Right? But, and people hate the Electoral College. The Electoral College, as intended, as intended, right. is so that the people pick a guy like Donald Trump. That's, that's exactly what's, yeah, you're supposed to pick somebody else. They should, should have picked Hillary Clinton anyway. Yeah. Independent of the votes. Right? Yeah. Because things like this could happen. The Constitution got it right. But the people got it wrong. And it's the Constitution only works if the people apply it. That's right. So I, I agree with like you. Like the Bible. I like the Bible. <laughs> I like the Bible. And it's this, I say America is unique in its approach that where it's always a tension to live up to the, its ideals that it says it believes in versus, versus what it actually practices. But it, the closer we get to the ideals, the better we are as America. But it's, we've had many starts and setbacks. People and are messing it's not, it up. It's not letting it right, but people are messing it up. So 
I mean, but it's up to people to preserve the ideals of who America is. To get to this place. Yeah, let's let's let, let, let's hope people do that. Because I think what's going on right now, whether you're Democrat or Republican, the ideals are out of whack. Out of whack. Out of whack, no matter how you look at it. <laughs> yeah, there's just no way to look at this except like, okay, if you read this, there's only one way to read this. Like, you can... I don't know how else you can read what's going on and, and interpret that this lines with that. Let's hope people c- can connect the two, but I'm a little skeptical because of, uh, well, you know, the emotional beings we are and figuring out how we get people there. As we know, technology works and uh, people are now exploiting that in new ways. So it's uh, hopeful that people get there. And I agree with you. I mean, the, the, docu- the Constitution as written you know, minus slavery and all that stuff and so forth. Is the the word improved, right? In its current state is beautifully written and shit and if we if we stay true to that, we'd have a whole less a whole lot less problems. But doing that is always the always a trick. Exactly. Final question. There's a billboard, Google ad, digital ad, whatever. Mm -hmm. That summarizes uh, a belief of yours, a saying, what would that saying why? The future will be delivered uh, not from the coast, not from New York or San Francisco, um, and not by your traditional um, Zuckerberg-looking hooded founder. Yeah. Um, they had a hell of a run. Yeah. Uh, but the future will not be delivered by the rest of us. Hey, the rest of us. Next is now. Time for disruption right now. Brian McKean, brother, we got to use again. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you on.